Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. You know, I, dude, that takes me back. And especially when they do it, come on, somebody. See, I've been, in, I've been in the church my whole life. I know that's not true for everybody, but I mean, my entire life, I have been in the church. And we, we weren't super, we wouldn't get super carried away. We were a little bit reserved in the church tradition I grew up in. I mean, we did this. That's about as charismatic as you got in the church I grew up in. But every now and then you'd do revival, and some of the other people would come, like Brother Jessup. And about midway through that course, he'd start to shouting. I was 11 thinking, what is happening right now? Scared me to death until he started jumping pews. And I'm like, I am out. This dude is crazy. <laughs> Hair flying all over the place. But, oh, man. And it just reminds me that as, as broken as some of the things were in a lot of our church experiences, there was some good. Come on, somebody. And the foundation of faith that has been laid in our hearts, it matters. And I know some of the reason why so often we avoid church is because it isn't perfect. And because at times it is messy. And if you stay around the church very long, eventually that mess gets on you a little bit. But this thing has never been perfect. Not from the very beginning, from the very onset of this thing that Jesus began and now has been handed from generation to generation and now it is ours to steward well. From the very beginning, it has had issues that have threatened it being able to continue what God designed it to be in this world. But the body of Christ is and always has been the vehicle that God has ordained to take the message of Jesus to the world. And from the onset, we've had to fight against the things that have tried to threaten it from being all that God desires it to be, but it's worth fighting for. It's worth fighting for because there are more and more generations. Behind that wall, there's another generation of people that are going to outserve us in this world for Jesus. And I just want to keep going with this. I don't even want to get to that. It is a beautiful thing to be the church. It is a beautiful thing to be a part of the church. And from the onset, you know, I've been reading again through the book of Acts as we've been, Jasmine and I are doing these midweek conversations and I'm remembering why God put this thing called vintage in my heart. And I'm remembered that despite all the hard things that we have to battle through in order to keep this thing going, we will keep fighting because it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. And we started last week walking through the book of Galatians, this letter that Paul wrote to this church and being reminded that Paul went into this little area of communities in the southern Galatia and, and started telling people about Jesus. And people started falling in love with Jesus. And remembering at this point, they didn't have all the history or even all the tools that we have to kind of autocorrect when things would go sideways. That when the church is first born for the first few centuries, they don't have this the way that we have it. I don't know if most of y'all even knew that, that, that it was well into this movement for a while before God allowed us to 
very strategically put this book together so that we would have it and he knew we would need it to better understand who he is and, and make sure the church is all that it's supposed to be. But in the beginning, you had this melting pot of people. People from all different walks of life. Even on the day of Pentecost, have you ever noticed the beauty of the diversity in the, on the day of Pentecost? That the day that God chose the Holy Spirit to come was a day when people from all over the world were present. And the beauty in that. And so you got all these people who would never have associated with each other before, who literally had nothing in common. And now they're all under the umbrella of the blood of Christ. <laughs> and, and that was messy because you had people that had grown up in all different types of religious experience, people that were polytheistic, which means like they, they believed in multiple gods. And then you had people that came from this Jewish and Judaist background, and, and they were now coming together, and it, there's all these issues that start to well up, and there, there's all these arguments. And Paul starts hearing about these things that are happening in these churches that he started. And he's like, all right, I guess I'm going to have to write you knuckleheads a letter <laughs> because you're drifting from the things. And so most of our New Testament, a good portion of it, is Paul writing letters to these churches to help kind of calibrate the things that are causing confusion and division and dissension among them because he knew that if that stuff stayed there, the church wasn't going to survive. And it wasn't going to be able to function the way that Jesus meant for it to function. And so all these letters, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, all these, all these different letters, Galatians, is Paul saying, look, there's stuff that's welling up among you that if we don't deal with it, if we don't resolve these issues, then this thing isn't going to stay together. And last week, we started reading in the first part of Galatians, and what we discovered was too often there were these religious people coming in, and they weren't watering down the gospel. They were weighing it down with unnecessary layers. And the way we put it was they started adding hoops. That you need this Jesus plus gospel. That, yeah, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to jump through our hoop. That if you're going to know him and belong to us, it's Jesus plus our hoop. So jump through our hoop. Yeah, it's baptism and circumcision. There's all these other things, like if you're going to be a part of us, and it was especially coming from those who walked in that Jewish faith, and now they've been putting their hope and trust in Jesus. And when you've walked in that, it's hard to, it's hard to not hold a hoop when you've walked with that hoop in your hand your entire life. Their entire existence was believing that the way to God was to jump through the right hoops, to keep all the laws to a T. And, and like they believed the only way to truly honor God and to know him was to do your level best at jumping through the right hoops. But Jesus comes along and he changes everything. And he says, hey, you're never gonna be able to enough, jump through enough hoops to be able to be made right with God. You can spend your entire life jumping through religious hoops and not a single hoop you ever hop through will be able to deal with the sin that's in your life. But here's the good news, the gospel. Jesus hung on the cross so you didn't have to hop through a hoop. <laughs> that he gave up his life to pay your sin debt, to remove that thing that stood between you and God, to make you righteous and whole, and now give you the opportunity to live in relationship with him. And it's not Jesus plus anything, it's just Jesus. 
Now, when Jesus gets in your heart, things are going to start changing. But to know him and to be made right with us, it is not a Jesus. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But there were, there were more issues that continued to plague this gospel. And it didn't just come from like these no-name new followers. One of the hardest things that has to happen is even some people that are leaders in this movement begin to act in ways that Paul sees as contrary to what's necessary for the gospel to continue and the kingdom to keep growing. And if you move into Galatians chapter 2, there's an encounter that Paul has with somebody who's very, very important. Galatians chapter 2, pick up with verse 11. You ready for the word of God? Say amen. Says when Cephas, that's Peter, y'all. Often when Paul would write and refer to Peter, he would call him Cephas. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. I have to read that aggressively because it just feels aggressive to me. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. One, do you notice that there is a time for you to actually look somebody in the eye when you got something to say? That he didn't passive aggressively call him out on Facebook? (laughs) Or tell everybody else what Peter was doing? He actually went to the man himself. Come on. He says, I, I, I went to Peter and I posed him to his face for, verse 12, for before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the hoop group. <laughs> that what is happening is Peter has this encounter. And if you go into Acts chapter 10, where he goes to Cornelius' house and how Peter begins to engage these people who didn't grow up in this Jewish way. People that his whole life he had really been told he wasn't supposed to interact with, he wasn't supposed to be seen having coffee with, he wasn't supposed to be seen sitting at Chick-fil-A hanging out. And so he's doing this. He's, he's sitting at these tables, and he is afforded an audience with people that didn't grow up like he did. They didn't grow up in this Jewish tradition, and now they're coming to faith in Jesus. And the way I see that, he used to just gather around a table. And remember, Peter was one of those that got to see Jesus up close. Again, at this point, the Gospels have not started circulating yet. That who Jesus was and what he did was coming from the mouths of those who witnessed it firsthand. Are you with me? So these people, when they came to Jesus, nobody gave them a New Testament. Nobody gave them a Gideon Bible. That their understanding of who Jesus is and the way Jesus lived came straight from the mouths who witnessed it. So do you understand how vital to the spiritual growth of these people it was to be able to interact with Peter? To be able to sit down and say, Peter, tell us what Jesus said on the sermon. We heard that he went up on a mountain one day and gave like this amazing sermon. What did he say? Peter, we heard, like, dude, you walked on water. What was that like? Peter, we heard you denied him too, but he forgave you. How vital to the spiritual development it was of these people that didn't grow up like Peter to be able to get an audience with him. Y'all with me? And then all of a sudden, there's some Jewish brothers and sisters that come along, and Peter's like, "Uh uh-oh, 
is the hoop group. <laughs> I don't know that I want to be seen with these Gentiles. I don't, I, I don't know if I, I, they might think I'm like them or they might start projecting some type of assumption on me. And so Peter evidently gets this place where he starts kind of pulling away from those guys. That when, when those guys aren't around, they say, hey guys, let's hang out, we'll talk, let's have, oh, n- n- never mind, hoop group's here. And Paul hears about this. And he's like, no, nah, man, uh-uh. That ain't, the, number one, do you realize how much they need you? That these Gentiles are, are dependent on the, the gospel that you have. Dude, you got to hang out with Jesus. How are they gonna know about the Jesus that I'm introducing to them if you're not willing to sit and have coffee and tell them about this Jesus? And Paul calls it what it is. Look at verse 13. The other Jews join him in his hypocrisy. So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? He's like, wait a minute, man. Like how, you know better than this. Before these guys got here, you had laid down your hoops, and then all of a sudden the hoop group shows up, and you're like, yeah, yeah, the the hoops are back. That when those people aren't around, you're willing to sit and have audience and have conversations, and then all of a sudden some guys come along that come up like you did, and it's like, whoop, hoop, hoop. And, And here's the thing. Hypocrisy is both dangerous and contagious. Peter, you're a leader. There's other people watching how you're handling this. Barnabas, my friend, who I've been hanging out with, who's mentored me, who's believed in me, he's watching you, and now he's doing the same thing. The hypocrisy, Paul, if it continues, it will hinder what God is trying to do in his church, in his movement. And then look at what he says next. Verse 15. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not, we know that a person is not justified by their works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will ever be justified. But if in speaking, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. That Paul, maybe you think that it's sinful to be around sinners and that somehow God is gonna call make you guilty by association. Like, no, their spiritual development is dependent on your willingness to engage with them. And you are stunting their spiritual growth by refusing to sit with them when the hoop group's around. And that hypocrisy 
is damaging and is going to destroy my church. See, from the onset, not only has the presence of unnecessary hoops threatened to derail the movement of God, the constant presence of hypocrisy has also been a threat. And we all know that, don't we? There's probably not a whole lot of people in this room that hasn't at some point resisted the church, got frustrated with the church, avoided being a part of the church because it ain't nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. Come on, somebody. See, not only does the church have to worry about hoops, we also have to fight against hippos. (laughs) Do y'all remember this game? If you don't, I don't know, you didn't grow up in like the 80s, and I don't even know when this thing came out. I don't know. I mean, but this was a game that we grew up as a kid, man, and it's called Hungry, Hungry. It'll be on eBay later to help fund. No. <laughs> and if you don't know the premise, basically you would just kind of put a whole pile of marbles right in the center of this thing, and then you had four players, and it was. And whoever got the most marbles win. In other words, whoever consumed the most wins. Sounds like a microcosm of our culture, doesn't it? (laughs) Hungry, hungry hippos. That Paul opens up this letter saying, all right, if you don't stop making people hop through unnecessary hoops, this thing's gonna go sideways. But the only thing worse than a hoop is when it's held by a hippo. Because most often, the one holding the hoop is a hypocrite that won't even jump through it themselves. So you think all these problems that are a part of your church experience all these things that were present when you were growing up that caused you to resist the church, you think they're new. Now, from the beginning, the church has had to be fighting hoops and hippos in order to stay alive. From the onset. And most of us, we know that like vintage, it's not a church with a whole lot of hoops. But I'll go ahead and tell you, every church has got some hippos in it. Every church, every person sitting in this room and every person watching online has at some point been a hypocrite. We all have. We've all had moments when our lives didn't quite line up with our mouths. (laughs) When the way we have behaved hasn't quite aligned with what we claim to believe. That when this and this doesn't align, this is what we are. And if we aren't willing to try, at least, to actively and ruthlessly eliminate hypocrisy in the church, it has just 
as deadly and dangerous effect in this body as it did in that one. But if we're going to ruthlessly eliminate it, we got to get honest about what it is. Because I don't even think we realize that all, see, there's different colors of hippos. There's different types of hypocritical behavior that we can so easily get caught up in. Come on. First, there's, there's those of us that condemn but do. Those of us who we condemn certain behaviors that we will call it out in them but excuse it in us. There are behaviors that when we see in other people attitudes and actions that we know are contrary to God's word. You know how you can see it so good? Because you see it in the mirror every single day. I told the first service, amen or ouch, one of the two, come on. That we condemn but do. And Paul would say to the Roman church, and, and let me just say, read through the letters that Paul wrote. There's very, I don't know that you can find one that doesn't talk about hoops and hippos. <laughs> There's not a single letter he writes where he's not trying to work against the religious tradition, trying to move in and weigh down the gospel with layers that aren't necessary. And not a single letter where Paul doesn't come in and point out and call out hypocrisy being present in that movement. Romans chapter two. You, therefore, have no excuse. You pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. That when we condemn but do, it's hypocrisy. When we call out sinful behavior in the life of somebody else that we know is present in us, those secret sins that really aren't as secret as you think they are, that are present in our lives, that we're pointing out in the lives of other people, knowing that that's there, that's there, that hypocrisy will destroy what God's trying to do in and through your life and through his church. But there's other groups. There's, there's the people that demand but won't. The people that condemn but do, but the people that demand but won't. The people that will hold the hoop, demand that you jump through it, but will not jump through it themselves. You ever met people that seem to have a higher standard for you than they have for them? Come on. Those people that have an expectation for you that they will not follow themselves that we want and expect and demand that other people do things that we ourselves are not, will not do. Expectations are an interesting thing. I thought this week, I actually put it on social media, there's a lot of people walking around mad at people for not meeting an expectation they never agreed to and didn't even know you had. And it's time to let it go. It's time to, and here's the other thing. We create, we demand from other people what God himself does not demand of us. Did anybody else grow up thinking, it's harder to be Baptist than be Christian? It's harder to be a part of, of this church or this place. And it's like we've added extra things that Jesus is like, I didn't, why do you demand that of them? I don't. That we have to, when, our, when what we expect from others 
doesn't align with what we demand from ourselves, look at me, that's hypocrisy. That's the exact thing that Jesus saw in the religious of his, people of his day that infuriated him. Go to Matthew 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but don't do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. He's saying all these religious people, they expect a lot from other people, but they themselves aren't willing. They will swallow a camel, but strain out a gnat. That they expect things. They demand, but they don't do. And that's hypocrisy. You ever seen people that claim but don't? They claim to know Jesus, but don't in any way reflect anything that looks like the Jesus you know of Scripture? The people who declare Jesus with their mouth, but don't demonstrate Jesus with their life? The, the people that can tell you all those, they know every word of that because he lives. Even the verses that y'all didn't sing because we just did the first and third when we was growing up. They're like those obscure ones. They can quote you the Bible in King James. But every time you see them, they're rude and angry and mistreating their spouse, chasing money, and doing all the things that just like, wait, wait, wait. And Paul's gonna get into this and we're gonna walk through it in a little while. The fruit that's supposed to come out of our lives as we follow Jesus. That when we claim Christ, now we're not perfect. I know we don't always get it right. But there is fruit that's produced in us as we grow in knowing him. Y'all with me? Say, come on. I'm not saying... The solution to hypocrisy is not perfection because none of us will ever get that. But some consistency and what we claim and what we do, the way that we live and what we say that we believe. Paul would tell Titus, see, for they, there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things that are not to be taught. And they're doing it for dishonest gain. Verse 16, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. People who claim but don't. People who demand but won't. People who condemn but do. But there's one more group of hypocritical people that Jesus points out. Those people who practice, but won't. They practice all the right things, but they won't the recognition for it. They, they do all the right things. They, they, they make all the right decisions, maybe from the outside looking in. They seem to look the part, and they're checking all the boxes, but they're not doing it because they love Jesus. They're doing it because they want you to tell them how great they are. Did you hear how he prays? It's so beautiful. It's the Queen's English and everything. 
oh, they, they know all the right, they have K-Love preset number one. <laughs> all 10 commandments crocheted on the wall. Do all the right things, but Jesus said there's gonna be people out there that from the outside looking in, like they, they, they appear to love me, they come near me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Look at what he says. Remember this in Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So there's going to be these people that they do all the right things and they show up in the right places and they say all the right stuff. And maybe there isn't a lot of things that you can physically see with your eye that seem off, but the motivation of their heart, which only I can see, isn't what it's supposed to be. And Jesus says, we do all the right things for all the right reasons. That's a form of hypocrisy that he doesn't want to exist in the church. That from the beginning, hoops and hippos have threatened this movement that Jesus started and we've been handed. And what if we could be a church that starts to ruthlessly eliminate these things? And I know that there are moments when we miss the mark. And you know, there's a difference between like hypocritical moments and a spirit, a hypocritical spirit. Come on, that makes sense. There's moments that you and I have and maybe the emotions get the best of us and we behave in a way that even disappoints ourselves. And other people, unfortunately, capture that. <laughs> and it doesn't, sometimes we don't reflect or represent Jesus as well as we would like then there's a difference between people that just very intentionally walk through this life with that hypocritical spirit, knowing that they're not walking in alignment with Jesus and making those things happen. And I want us to be a church full of people that aren't perfect by any means, but we never pick up hoops and demand people jump through them that God didn't ask himself. And when people see those who claim vintage church out in the community, they don't see us as this hypocritical person whose life doesn't align with what we claim to believe. And so the question is, all right, how do we get there? How do we get there? I read one time that the way they train people to be able to identify counterfeit bills is they spend hours studying the real so that they can identify the fake. You don't study the fake to identify the real, you study, you study the real so that you can identify the fake. That we spend our lives so engrossed with the word of God, so deeply trying to walk through these gospels that we have where we get to look into the life of Jesus. We study the real so that we can see the fake, not in them, but in us. So when our lives are the fake and not the real, we recognize what's broken and we let the Holy Spirit move in and bring about the change that's needed to bring us in alignment with him. That if we are going to be the type of people that ruthlessly eliminates hypocrisy, it gotta, it's gotta be more than just some affection for Jesus or even some affiliation to Jesus. It has to be a complete alignment with Jesus.
And the only way for you to align your life with his is this has to become a more regular part of your routine. But, but can I say something that maybe some people are not going to want to hear? Y'all know I'm going to. Stop using other people's behavior as a reason to resist God. Stop using other people's behavior as a, res- as a reason to resist his church. Stop using other people's behavior as an excuse to walk away from the God who's been chasing you the moment you entered this world. I know we don't always reflect him well, but he is good and he loves you and he wants relationship with you and he's made that relationship possible, not through a church's hoop, but the cross of his son. So you take just a minute, bow your head, close your eyes. Can we do some work before we walk out of here? I want to talk to the people that you know, man. (laughs) Yeah, you know. Your life is not lived in alignment with Jesus. You have way too many times where you drift off that path and into that area that you know people can see as hypocritical. And like, it's time to stop. It's time to do the things that you need to do. It's time to lean into the word of God, into his church, into the accountability relationships that you need to start living more consistently for Christ so that you're not the one that people see as a hypocrite. Trust in his forgiveness and his strength to help you walk forward. to the people in the room or maybe even watching online that you have rejected Jesus, you have resisted God, and you have shunned even getting any closer to his church because of all the hypocrisy. Can we have some grace? For those moments when we haven't represented him well. Don't resist the goodness of God because of the hypocrisy of people. Let's make some changes today, church. What would Paul write about us? God, give us strength to do more than just hear this word today, to do more than just laugh at some silly toys, but to allow you to work in our lives in a way that's necessary to help us to grow in you and to step out of this building now and walk into the world that needs you. And God, we are the vehicle to take you to them. God, we walk out of this building now and we step into life and God, give us the strength, power, and courage to represent you well. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Hey, if God's done something in your life today, let us know about it. Jump on that app, hit that respond tab. Let us know how we can pray for you. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. We love you guys. We'll see you next time. Give God some glory on your way out. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Vintage Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at vintagechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Vintage Church app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.